Welcome to the Switch Leader Podcast, where we decide today the leader we will be tomorrow. Well, all right, friends, thanks so much for hanging out with me this week on the Switch Leader Podcast. My name is Josh Baldwin, and man, I got to tell you, I'm so excited about what we get to cover over the next couple of weeks. I got the opportunity to sit down with Noemi Monerville from an organization called One Hope. Now, One Hope is doing really great work um, and doing really great research on Gen Z. Gen Z is the students that we are serving with in Switch right now. And so they're doing really great research, coming up with some really valuable statistics in the realm of things such as high anxiety, loneliness, depression, suicidal thoughts, gender identity, pornography, topics like that, that many of us are going, yeah, like what what do those statistics really look like? We know we're hearing about it a lot, but how many are really dealing with it? How are students seeing the world right now through their own lens? How how are they seeing the world through the culture that in many ways is shaping them? And so a lot of great, valuable information here. These are these next two episodes will be longer than what we're used to, but they are worth it. I did split it up into two parts. So this week will be part one. Let's get it started right now. Noemi, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, hey, will you do me a favor? I let everyone know that you are from One Hope, but will you take just a minute, maybe explain to us, um, will help us get to know you a little bit, but also tell us a little bit about your role with One Hope. What is it? What is One Hope? What do they do? And then what do you do um, as a part of that team? Sure. So my name is No Amy. It's like Amy, but no. And I work as a research strategist at One Hope. I'm based in Fort Lauderdale, which is where our ministry is Uh, headquartered. And One Hope is a ministry whose mission is God's word, every child. So really equipping the global church to meet the needs of their community and the people that God has put in front of them to reach, specifically with scripture. And so we're all about scripture engagement and, and making sure that every child has the opportunity to hear and engage with God's word all around the world. God's word. Every child, I love that so much. Um, okay, so not only are you a part of the One Hope team and organization, but there's also um, this this other part of it called Feed. And Feed is something that a lot of our I know that our youth pastors in Life Church gain a lot of value and wisdom and knowledge from. Can you give us a little bit of a backstory on Feed? Yeah, so Feed is an initiative that is birthed out of the ministry work that we do at One Hope. And really the idea is to engage Gen Z with just honest conversations about biblical truths. A lot of times that looks like equipping youth pastors with resources to be able to to reach the kids in front of them, right? And so we're just like One Hope, Feed is really about understanding where kids are at. Um, This is the role of our research department across both initiatives is really to understand, hey, where are young people at? What are the things that they're thinking about? What are the things that they're dealing with? And how can we meet them with scripture um, in a really timely and appropriate and and meaningful way for them um, that that it just might take root even deeper in their hearts? And so that is why we do research across across our organization. We really want to understand, like I said, where are young people at? How can we reach them even more powerfully with scripture 
And so we seek to understand that through research in the many countries that we work in and also in North America, which is um, where our newest initiative, Global Youth Culture, was kind of birthed as well. I love it. Um, I, I think that we in youth ministry, everybody listening that's a youth worker that's involved in youth ministry, we've kind of got maybe this group of kids that we really get to know. And you may, you may look at like a whole youth ministry and, and everyone, but you've got this core group that are yours, you know, and you really get to know mm-hmm. them. And, and as a result, we kind of can begin to make maybe some assumptions about youth culture, right? Like maybe even just based on these seven kids that are in front of me. And what I love that you guys have done is gone, Hey, you know what? While there may be some truth to some of those assumptions, there's actually a much bigger and much more detailed picture to paint. And so you all have made it really important to go, okay, if we're going to reach these students the way that we so want to, then we better know them as good as we could possibly know them. And, exactly, and of course, exactly. yeah, yeah. And of course their generation. And so you all do the work that, that truly like get your hands dirty work to go. How do we learn as much as we can to then equip people like us that are in the role that we're in going, Hey, we, we have the, I got this kid right in front of me and they're dealing with some stuff and I'm having a hard time understanding, like wrapping my head around why they're dealing with what they're dealing with. Because when I grew up, life looked different. And so you, you all have done this incredible job of going, okay, then let's figure that stuff out and then let's put it in your hands um, so that you're equipped to do your what you're called to do. And so first of all, thank you to One Hope. Thank you to Feed for doing that and equipping youth workers like all of us that are, that are tuned into this podcast. And now um, I hope everybody, I hope y'all have a pen and paper I hope that you're like really locked in and paying attention because um, if you like numbers, then you are going to like to hear different aspects of what we're going to talk about because um, we're going to be able to get into some, some a little bit more specifics of things. And if you don't really love numbers, you're still going to love what we're about to talk about because you probably love youth ministry. Also, if you don't love youth ministry, that's weird. And um, you should, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't be listening so closely. I don't know, but or listen more closely. But, but either way, you're going to love what you're about to learn because truly we're about to have um, some wisdom and knowledge dropped on us. So, um, Noemi, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of hand it over to you. I know that you've got um, some different things to go through with us. And we would love to hear from you um, sort of about Gen Z, which is the, the generation that we're talking to, the generation that we're working with and, uh, and global youth culture. Yeah, well, I love what you said, Josh, about challenging assumptions, because I think that's exactly what it is. Like at the heart of what we do, we're really a ministry that seeks to learn towards serving better. So that's exactly what we wanted to do here. We were like, we think we know Gen Z, but do we? Like, there's a lot of research out there, but what does that look like inside of the church? What does that look like outside of the church? And then specifically just for attitudes towards faith, what does that look like outside of the church? Things that we don't necessarily have a strong pulse on and things that other research organizations maybe don't have a reason to really look into. And so that was kind of our sweet spot. So today I'm so excited to share 
some of the research. Um, it's going to feel like a lot, but it's even just a bite-sized piece of everything that we've learned. So we wanted to know who is Gen Z? What do they think about faith? And so last year, beginning of 2020, so right before the global pandemic, we set out to measure the beliefs and attitudes and behaviors of youth between the ages of 13 to 19. We did this in North America, in the U.S., but we also did this in 19 other countries worldwide. So 20 countries around the world. We talked to over 8,000 teens of all different backgrounds around, about you know life, faith, and views, and we learned so much. So today, I just want to zoom in to the U.S. and talk about some of those learnings. And so specifically in the U.S., we talked to, again, got to give you guys the numbers so you know that this was legit. We did our due diligence. Um, and so we talked to 410 American teens, again, between the ages of 13 to 19. And we asked them 72 questions about their beliefs and their attitudes and behaviors, which is a big deal. Like getting a kid to respond to 72 questions it's no small feat. So we were excited that that worked, first of all. Um, and that group was about half female and half male. And most of those kids were in that 17 to 19 age range, which is just kind of, you know, who you have the most access to with research. But we definitely had some younger teens represented in, in that as well. And then in terms of religion, half of those kids were Christian. Another like 40% said that they just don't have a religion. And 11% rounding out that 100 claimed other religion. So I'm going to jump into three main areas of learning and then introduce you to some examples of teens that we encountered along the way, which I think will be really exciting. So let's jump in. Let's do it. So first, we asked these teens about how they were doing with mental health, and they told us that the struggle is very real for them. So Sometime in the last three months, again, this was before January of 2020, so before the global pandemic, 74% of teens dealt with loneliness, 66% of teens said they dealt with high anxiety, and 60% dealt with depression. And so this is huge, right? This is before even we've got a pandemic going. This is just kids as we knew, as we knew the world before the pandemic, right? And th these are the sorts of emotions and experiences that they're that they are honestly reporting to us. And so that's a little bit just around um, kind of basic indicators of mental health, if you will. And then we also asked about suicidal thoughts and even suicidal attempts. And so 35% of those teens in the US said that they had had suicidal thoughts in those past three months. And 7% of teens had even attempted suicide. So like I said, we see that teens are clearly struggling, even pre-pandemic. Um, and I do want to pause here because I don't want us to miss this in a sea of numbers. Like I know when you see percentages, they just kind of all start to sound the same. But this is really just so striking. Like 35%, one in three teens in the U.S. recently had suicidal thoughts in a pre-COVID world. That's more than any teens in any other country in our study, which is just oh wild. Um, it just, I, it just really feels like a big deal. It is. I'm glad you paused this because I was about to pause this because, because as I as I think like 35 percent, you know, I'm like, man, like one in three kids. You, you tell me one in three teens had suicidal thoughts before COVID. You know, like mm -hmm. before before it felt like okay, now everybody's depressed. Like it, you know, it it kind of when when life was quote normal, 35 uh, percent. When I think of 
I, man, I, I remember being a kid and thinking, I don't understand why anyone would think about that, right? Like, I mean, just just when I was younger and and really it wasn't something that we heard much of, but when I did, I remember thinking, man, like what a terrible place you must be in, in your, in your mind to have that thought. And now we're sitting here with statistics going, okay, but that's happening one out of every three teenagers is absolutely mind blowing. And it may, I, there's lots of things I think throughout this that are going to light a fire under people, but this is one of those that makes you go, wow, if there was not a sense of urgency before, then there should be now. Like surely now we would sense how urgent the mission is that we're on. Yeah, it really is heartbreaking. And and I think it's even more heartbreaking to think, like you mentioned, how much more pronounced do we think those struggles are after experiencing oh pandemic life, just like you said. So definitely something to think about. If your heart wasn't broken before, I hope that it is burden now um, for these teenagers. Absolutely. So that was kind of the, the mental health conversation. Um, a really just quick dip into that. We've got a lot more available on our website that you can, you can look through. Um, but we also wanted to know about influence in the life of teens. I think this is pr a pretty big ticket item for a lot of people. Like what does influence look like in the lives of teens? Who are the voices that teens are listening to? And also who are the voices that teens are inviting to speak into their lives? So we asked teens where they go most often for information or guidance about the meaning of life and matters of right and wrong. And we were really surprised actually to see that amidst all the, all the places that teens could go for these things, to their friends, to social media, online sources, to textbooks, to religious leaders, parents actually won here as an influence, which was really cool. Um, there's just one nuance to that, and that's in the area of conversations around gender and sexuality, which may not be surprising, right? So other voices in this area, like those of friends and social media are competing with parents for influence, but parents still do have some influence in that gender and sexuality conversation, which is pretty amazing. So I think the big takeaway here is that parents have a major seat of influence in the lives of their kids, and they really need to be able to sit in it well, especially in the hard conversations. So when I think about this for a practitioner, I really think like, what are we doing to equip? And for a ministry, we think about this too. Like, what are we doing to equip parents to sit in that seat of influence really well? One, just having them know that they have influence there still and their kids still care, um, but also knowing how to have those hard conversations that teens are, are open to having. Absolutely. And I, I know that for us as, as youth workers, we're having these conversations with students. We talk a lot about partnering with parents and doing our best to to constantly remind really each other that that parents are the number one voice in their lives and and it's partly because it's their parent right but it's also because that's who they spend the most time with especially in compared to us like if the comparison mm -hmm. is to us as their um small group leader for instance and switch well we we get them for 1 to 2 hours a week right and Parents have them in their home every day and every night, and they're the ones that raised them, and they're the ones with the true influence. And so if we want to have an influence in the student's life, then we have to be supporting and partnering with their parents. So we're, we're, we're at great, we have to have influence in their parents' life. And yeah. that, that clearly 
comes to be true with just about every topic. And you mentioned that sexuality is the one where maybe not, you know, parents, maybe it's not quite as much influence on that topic. And I think everyone can, it would be an assumption of me to say, but I think everyone can probably look at that and kind of assume and go, okay, yeah, parents are often not telling students what they want to hear in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And students are hearing at school and among friends what they want to hear. And so that's that's what they've decided. And so for that reason, maybe it is an area that parents have lost a little bit of the influence, but it doesn't mean they've lost it all. Just as you just as you're saying, they they still are are going to be one of the top influencers in in each area of their life. And and it's our job as youth workers to be partnering with them for that influence. Mm-hmm. So this last this last area of learning is around scripture engagement, which obviously we are a ministry that champions scripture engagement. It is the core of our mission, God's word, every child. So of course, this was something huge that we wanted to learn about and ask young people about whether they were believers or not, right? And so when we talk about scripture engagement with these teens, we mean Bible reading. And of course, we mean gospel presentation, like understanding the gospel message. But we also mean a life that's lived in step with scripture. So that means allowing scripture to really shape a young young person's understanding of the world around them and the way that they're interacting with that world. And so when we looked specifically at Christian teens' foundational spiritual beliefs and their habits, we found that a life lived in step with scripture just was not necessarily the case. So when we asked these Christian teens about their relationship with scripture, 46%, so almost half, of Christian teens said that they never read the Bible on their own. And so we were really surprised by that. And we found that scripture engagement is really not happening amongst Christian teens to the extent that we want it to be. So that was a big catalyst for us as a ministry that is so focused on scripture engagement to think about, man, we need to move the needle on this. Like, how do we, how do, we do that? All right. So those are, those are the three main areas that we learned about. Again, just skimming the surface. Um, we learned lots about mental health influences and scripture engagement. Um, but even so, with all that we learned, there were puzzles in the story that the stories that the data was telling. So we always say like good research always brings up more questions. Like the more that you start to dig, the deeper you want to keep digging. Right. And so, for example, we had an idea of kind of where teens were in their faith. We knew generally like kind of what they thought about God and Jesus and the Bible but we wanted to know more about like their faith and how they practice it. And then we also wanted to know, thinking of specifically about those views of God and Jesus and the Bible, how did they form the, those worldviews? Like, how did they get there? Who influenced them? How were they influenced? Thinking more broadly, even just on perspectives on truth, like what do they think about truth? Is it subjective? Is it objective? How did you get there? And then what do they think about scripture? Do they think about it at all? And then we wanted to get into some topical things too. So like, what about this LGBTQ plus conversation? Is it as big of a deal as we think it is? Or what is what is the conversation that your generation is really having around it? And so, like I said, lots more questions emerged from the research. So what we did is we set up what we call focus groups with these teenagers. We gathered around 85 teens from across the country. Again, chosen at random, but still within our, our same age range of that 13 to 19 group. And we invited them to join conversations around these questions. And we talked with them a lot. We talked about faith. 
and truth and influences scripture and also where they stand on those LGBTQ plus matters. And so today I'm really excited to walk you through three of these different archetypes or personas, we might call them, of young people that we talk to. And the hope here is that really you get a fuller idea, just like we did, of what and how these young people are thinking. Specifically, you know, young people that we may not have access to, that don't come through our doors every week or every month or at holidays, um, but also the people that are coming through those doors and that we do see on a regular basis. And so um, excited to dive into that. Yeah, and and I want to let everybody know that in our show notes we will will include a link to um, some graphics that will sort of help paint the picture visually um, for what Noemi is about to go through with us. And you're going to want to open that graphic. So just know if you can't right now as you're listening to the podcast, that's okay. Um, but come back to it and open this graphic. Email it to yourself. Save it on your phone. And, and look through it because it really is helpful to visually help you look and go, what, what is a student going through this specific, um, you know, in this specific season of life or, or that we would describe in this specific way? What is that type of student going through? What do the numbers look like for their struggles and such? That's great. And I think one thing to remember, these these come off very narrative based um, and we'll introduce them as individual people, but really they represent a large chunk of young people that we talk to. So we, we speak about it from the perspective of one person that really represents a larger group. So just to keep that in mind as we go through as well. Perfect. And we'll jump into our first group, which we call the nuns. Um, it is not nuns as in the Catholic Church, it's N-O-N-E-S. So these are um, teens who identify as atheist or agnostic and non-religious. So atheist, agnostic, non-religious teens, we are calling the nuns. And these nuns represent 39% of all of the teens in the U.S. that we talk to, which is a pretty significant chunk. So we know that you know not every teen's experience or outlook is the same. And we saw a few different versions, if you will, of of kids inside of this group of nuns. So we saw who we call the hurt nuns. So somebody who doesn't believe in anything and they're just openly against religion. We saw the apathetic nun who just doesn't really care and uh, would be more of an agnostic maybe. And then the spiritual seeker who is um, not religious per se, but is just open to spiritual things. And so we saw that most of the nun teens that we talked to in our, in our focus group specifically really fall into that apathetic category. They just don't really associate with a religion. So we've created an archetype of what we've heard from these kinds of teens and we call it the apathetic nun. So I'd love to introduce you to our apathetic nun, Melissa. She's fictional, but she represents the average apathetic nun. She's around 17 and she says that she has no religion. So she says she doesn't believe in God. She doesn't really care what others believe in as long as no one is forcing their beliefs on anyone. This is a really important point for this, this group of kids. No forcing. And she says, religion was never really part of my life. I never found an affiliation to it. It was an unimportant thing in my life that some people had, but I didn't have. And when we asked her about her faith influences, she shared that her parents are a major influence. Her parents never really cared about religion, so she doesn't either, and they never wanted to force anything on her, so she doesn't want to either. But her personal experiences were also in play, right? So she really says 
that she just hasn't seen God do anything or really felt the need for religion in her life. And then culture definitely has had an effect for her too. So just the fact that culture and most people around her don't have, have Christian beliefs, it just all bundles up to Melissa just not seeing the need for religion. So that's a little bit just about, about influences and general kind of worldview. But we also wanted to dig into that mental health question, right? So we knew from our survey that this nuns group of kids, the kids that um, had no religious beliefs, that they're actually struggling the most out of all of the teens in the U.S., especially in the areas of anxiety and loneliness. So I'm going to get into the stats, but um, you'll have it if you're looking in the show notes, you'll have this in front of you. 77% of teens like Melissa in this nuns category reported that they recently struggled with loneliness. 77%, again, in a um, pre-COVID world. More than two in three reported high anxiety and depression. Almost half reported suicidal thoughts. One in three reported same-sex attraction and over half said they recently engaged with pornographic material. So I, I don't think I need to tell you, right? But there's a real need for hope in this group. She goes on, right? She tells us more about some of the pressures that she faces. So not only is she struggling an enormous amount with her mental health. So I'm even just still struck by that 77% loneliness, two and three high anxiety and depression, and over half reported suicidal thoughts. Like that is some of the highest that we've seen. Yeah, that's hard to, that's just truly, that's just hard to wrap your head around uh, to, to think um, the rate being that high, that if you got two, two kids sitting in front of you, neither of which, um, you know, if you're talking to two kids that neither go to church and, and don't um, hold, you know, any religious beliefs, that, then you can just pretty well estimate that at least one of them has dealt with thoughts of killing themselves because they're in such a dark place. Man. That's exactly it. And what we really wanted to know was like, okay, we saw from our survey that teens are feeling this way, specifically in that group. But we wanted to know, like, what what do you think contributes to things like this? And kids were eager to share. So Melissa says, you know, academic expectations are huge. Just trying to perform well in school, um, kind of connected to that, just pressure from her parents to meet their expectations weighs heavy on her. And seeing as Melissa and a lot of kids like her identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community, she also thinks that lack of acceptance for her gender identity has been really problematic for her mental health. So that's something that we didn't see as much in other groups of kids, right? But specifically zooming in on this group of apathetic nuns, it was something that came up a lot. That's heavy. I'm sitting here looking at the graphic that um, that that you're kind of talking about. Some some are looking at it, some maybe aren't yet. And it's it, there's some pauses because I've <laughs> I feel like my mind is boiling. Like I I, I mean I'm just there, there's just so much to process that while you're going through it, in reality, it's something that I'm like I need to go back to when we're done and and really compare, you know, like really look, look through this a little more slowly because there's so much here and it feels like everything I'm looking at while it isn't shocking, like, while I'm not shocked to hear that there's a high number of students with same sex attraction or that there's a high number of them looking at pornography. I am a little bit shocked to see how high the number is, but my mm -hmm. gosh, I just had no idea that it was this high that we would say 70% depression, almost half suicidal thoughts. It's, 
that's overwhelming. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we know that there's, there's hope, right. That is available to them. Um, but we want to know like what, where do they find hope in the midst of that? Like, is, is there an openness to faith in the midst of that? Or what does that look like? And so we, we wanted to know kind of what holds them back maybe from pursuing those, this avenue of hope. And in our survey, we had asked those nuns about their opinion of God and Jesus and the Bible. And overall, these nuns just mostly didn't think about, about these things. We wanted to know, like, what are, what are their perceptions of faith, right? And their obstacles to them learning more about it. And so Melissa, for example, tells us that when it comes to faith, she's just generally disinterested because, you know, religion is boring and controlling. She thinks that it contradicts her values on identity. And she thinks, you know, all religions are pretty much the same anyways. Like they all have the same basic moral core. Um, She would also say that there's just nothing special about the Christians that she knows either. So uh, this was just striking because it makes us think, as a, as a community, as a body of believers, what are we doing um, to, show, to show like an avenue of hope that this is actually something desirable that makes a difference? And so right. Melissa, for example, just isn't seeing that. And then when we think more specifically about scripture, it's just not interesting to Melissa, right? Because it's, she thinks it's offensive. It's kind of anti-LGBTQ plus. And it encourages rules and control with no authority to really make those rules. And so on that note, she's thinking, you know, it's just written by a bunch of random guys. It's just a human written document with no authority. And ultimately, it's just boring to her and just not relevant. So we're not we're not really winning in that department either. Seems to very much be this attitude of, you know, what gives you the right to tell me this? What gives you the right to have said that that's a rule? What gave you a right to even write this book? Um, like, you know, so like, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with what you're saying, but I also don't believe what you're saying because I just don't believe you in general. And so it, it feels like when I'm thinking about what is art, like, like what you were saying, okay, then what can we do to reach this student? It definitely does. You get where you go. Okay. But seriously, what can we do to reach this student? Because, because it feels like everything that we believe in and stand for is everything that this kid seems to stand against. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're definitely onto it there. Um, I think even when we think as a church, so we've talked about you know um, just views on faith and on the Bible, but also on church. Like church is just boring to her. It's irrelevant. She says that like the times that she has been to church, she's just felt out of place. And, and that's definitely a, somewhere that we can improve, right? And that it just didn't really do anything for her. And then she also says, you know, to make matters worse, that the church is judgmental and hypocritical. And so these are some of the things that are really holding holding her back from faith. But I think, I think to your point, Josh, like there are some really key opportunities as believers first and leaders also to engage an apathetic kind of nun like Melissa. And so I think... Some of these things are just like positive examples of, of a life that's lived in step with scripture. Like how can we be one, just engaging people right outside of the church um, and, sh- and showing them what it means to live a life in step with scripture that is exciting and fun and life-giving. Um, and that isn't restrictive and boring and oppressive, but just the life and the joy and the fullness that comes from living a life in step with scripture and with Jesus, right? And I think 
you know, another big thing that's missing, just kind of big, big picture is just a clear understanding of scripture and the message it presents. Like we are not, we are the source, I think, in some ways of our, of, of what the, the gospel message is to these people, because that's what they're seeing, right, is our example. Right. But in another way, when you ask them, like, what do Christians believe, they think either of our example of things that we have really strong stances on, right, that they may not agree with. And then I think conversely, they just think about whatever culture tells them, right, um, the church stands for. And so I think in some ways, like, we as a church don't really get um, a way to share like here's clearly our message um, to this the specific group of people, and so I think that's that's definitely an opportunity too, is making sure like we're the source of of what we believe and telling them what we right. believe, right? Yep, and, and maybe at times even not being afraid to tell them what we believe and to have those um, conversations. That the the kids that are in this place. I'll say this, this is what I love about this. While this is a kid that says, I don't go to church, no religion, all that. This kid will, <laughs> I'm just telling, we, we have these kids walk through our doors. And so while, while yes, they don't go to church, at some point a friend will invite them to church and they'll show up to church not caring about church and not believing in God and only coming for their friend. And that is when we do our part and it's not that we try to convince them that they're wrong and it's not that we try to convince them that we that we are right we just love them in a way that they are really really surprised by and if if you can show up in a way that surprises a kid and that they walk through the door thinking man church is boring church is irrelevant church is judgmental and hypocritical and instead they show up and they go whoa those people were different like they just they were incredibly kind. I mean, like we don't agree on everything, but they almost seemed okay with that. Like they just said, I just want you to come back next week. Or can I get your number so I can reach out to you this week? Where do you go to school? Do you play any sports? What's going on in your life? Because I care about those things. Okay. That's when the wall starts to come down. And so while we look at this and it feels overwhelming and we're like, oh my gosh, the, where do you even begin? Well, you, you, you begin with love. Like you, you begin the, the way Jesus would begin, which is being very present in front of them and just absolutely caring deeply about them when the opportunity arises and the opportunity will arise. There, there's people listening to this right now that have this kid in their small group that started last week that they're going, I have a kid in my group that's never been to church before, doesn't believe anything about what we're talking about. But I think they're a good kid and I really want to reach him. Well, then thank God that he gave you an opportunity and um, enjoy the ride. Yeah, I love that. I love some of the things that you hit on too. Just that idea of like, yeah, these are kids who don't really care, but maybe they'll come to church with a friend. Not that, that they'll really be into it or really care about it. But I think, you know, one of the things that these kids seem to really lack is a sense of urgency to just ask and and answer life's big questions. So we know that, right? But then they also lack a bridge to the church in a lot of ways that makes it like less intimidating or just less weird to enter. Like, and I think that as a very practical point is just like having kids bring their friends and being like, hey, like I'll be your buddy for the night. Like, just come with me, let's hang out. Um, and so I think kind of, we talk a lot about, you know, lowering barriers to entry. And so like, how do we make it something that's easy for somebody to come to um, kind of wherever they're at, whether they're, you know, 
having big questions about life, whether they don't really care, but knowing that there needs to be a sort of faithfulness there too, right? To stick stick with that person, um, kind of establish that trust, establish um, that loving relationship there and being a person with whom they can just openly question assumptions about church and Christians, because that's something that this group is really needing as well. Yeah, they need it. And they need us not to be defensive when they do that. That They need us not yeah. to go, oh, no, let me explain to you why you're wrong. Like, no, that's yeah. truly the worst thing you could have done for that kid is explain to them why they're wrong when you just met them. Like, get, give them an opportunity to feel the way they feel and think the way they think and still feel like you love them. And so don't, don't, when we start jumping to, man, I've got to urgently defend my case, then we are missing the point because Jesus does not actually need your help to defend his case. It's just, it's, he just doesn't, it, it it's not, it, he's not that weak and he's very, very strong and can handle it. And I think that he can also handle them being in a place of going, I have a lot of challenges and I'm in a world that's making it more challenging. And I have questions because everything around me is questioning everything. And so of course I'm going to question them, which means do we bring truth? Absolutely. We bring the truth in the most loving, understanding way imaginable. But we Mm -hmm. don't bring it just because we feel like they're wrong and we need to make sure they know they are. That's That's not how that works. We, we bring it when, when the opportunity arises that we have developed a relationship that they can know, I am lovingly sharing the truth with you. And it has to be in that order. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, leaders. So I hope that this has been valuable to you. I hope you've enjoyed it so far, learned a lot of good information. We're going to stop here next week. We'll cover the rest of it and we'll learn a little bit more about two other types of students. One being maybe like the student that attends Switch, says that they believe in God, but doesn't necessarily live it out outside of the church. And then another one being that all in committed student, committed in their faith and where the statistics land with students that fall more in those categories. It's going to be really, really interesting. I do want to remind you, if you have any questions for the podcast or topic ideas, please email them to switch at life.church. We love it when you guys bring that stuff to the table and make the podcast better. But thank you again for joining us on the Switch Leader Podcast, where we decide today the leader we will be tomorrow.